This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Welcome to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Um, quick little intro to the show today because um, I have a couple of guests on that I just wanted to uh, give you the kind of uh, lay of the land of this show. So first up, um, I was, I am uh, still, uh, even after the conversation, uh, very honored, uh, very happy, um, all you know, very good things to uh, be able to say that I had uh, not only a representative from Higher Heights of America come on the program to talk, but the CEO of Higher Heights for America um, come on and uh, give us a few minutes to uh, talk about what Higher Heights for America is doing. Um, and uh, her name is Glinda Carr. She's amazing. And uh, in case anybody listening to this don't know doesn't know why I'm talking about uh, Higher Heights for America, a reminder that um, in less than a week, um, where I am going to be running a fundraiser episode, in which people could call in um, and have five minutes of airtime on the pod in exchange for a thirty dollar donation to Higher Heights, um, and rather than say what Higher Heights is or what they do, I'll just let you listen to the beginning of the pod because um, Glenda Carr does a much better job of it than I could. Um, so she's up first, and then shortly after that, we have um, someone who you know of as Daryl Budum on Twitter, uh, Alexander Cohen, and we have our long-awaited um, Tom Thibodeau, Kenny Atkinson um, knockdown drag drag out of the bar I don't know what other analogy you want um, grudge match of uh, Tibbs versus Kenny which uh, again that conversation was a lot of fun so kind of a two part episode for you today and um, yeah hope you enjoy okay so joining me uh, to start off today's episode is uh, someone that I'm I'm just thrilled to have a few minutes to speak with um, it is it's a rare uh, moment where I am nervous uh, interviewing someone for this podcast because, you know, wh- who do I talk to? I talk to people who write and talk about sports for a living, um, not people who are out there making just a monumental impact on the world. And um, the person I have on me right now has done uh, that and more to work uh, to date. She's helped uh, elect 11 black women to 
U.S. Congress, including one to the Senate. Um, she's also helped in the effort to elect the first black woman to serve as the New York State Attorney General. Um, you've probably seen her on CNN.com, TheRoot.com, Ebony.com, a host of other places. Uh, she's been in The Times, The Washington Post. Uh, so I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Glenda Carr. Glenda, how are you? Good. Thanks for having um, me. And um, by all means, like, I wish I was a... Uh, um, <clears throat> you know, out playing, playing ball instead of uh, (laughs) trying to, um, I should say playing tennis. I play tennis. I do not play ball. My best friend, my best friend though, played division one basketball. Oh wow! Um, And uh, other than trying to move the ball, the the ball, the democracy ball. (laughs) I like the analogy. Um, (laughs) So uh, you are the president and CEO of higher heights for America. And um, you were kind enough to join me today just to talk a little bit about what you're doing, because as I'm sure my listeners are are knowledgeable of by now, um, we are trying to raise money here on the show um, for you guys um, in an effort to, uh, well, why don't you say it? I'm sure you'll say it better than me. So what is it that you guys do? Great. Yeah. So um, Kimberly Peeler Allen and I co-founded Higher Heights for America in a Brooklyn cafe in 2011 when I was trying to figure out my next steps. Sometimes when you work in politics, you find yourself without a job. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I was trying to figure out what uh, I wanted to do next. I had worked for um, a New York state senator as as a chief of staff. uh, And I had been, had just started, um, finished up working for an advocacy organization around organizing um, voters around public school reform. uh, And then found myself trying to figure out next steps. And so Um, we started just talking about the democracy and did we think that the democracy, uh, was reflective of our diverse, um, um, fabric, um, of America. Uh, and we didn't think, uh, that was the case as, uh, two black, um, women and wanted to figure out how we could help change the face of democracy. And so we decided that we wanted to focus on, um, um, mobilizing and electing black women. And um, the 23 million black women in this country are underrepresented and underserved. We actually put more into the democracy than we actually get back. Right. Um, and that includes um, issues around um, um, uh, equal pay, around health indicators. Uh, a lot of these uh, conversations around racial disparities and, and, and gender disparities that have risen um, under the backdrop of COVID-19 and the uprising since the death um, or the killing of George Floyd were things that we were grappling with in 2011 in a different lens. Uh, and at the end of the day, diverse decision-making tables make better decisions. And so we didn't, you know, the data pointed to that black women are, um, underrepresented in our elected, um, leadership. And we set out in, um, in developing a national model that would allow, um, black women and our allies to help invest in black women's political leadership from the voting booth to elected office Um, and enter in 2020. And we think, you know, um, we had some uh, supporters say, did you think in 2011 that you were building an organization for a time as this? And um, as co-founders, I don't think we thought that was the case. We thought that there was work that needed to be done. Um, But we've built this political home. Um, for Black women's political leadership that not only centers Black women, um, but also creates a space for our allies to help invest in this work. So I, I know, you know, one of the things that I've kind of struggled with over the last few months is, you know, while trying to be a, a voice for change and, you know, 
a ways raise awareness. And I know, you know, a lot of people are out there obviously protesting, doing those things. Um, I'm, I'm still a lawyer at heart and I believe that change comes from those in, um, elected office. So I, I don't know if you could maybe verbalize this, but what do you think about the idea that like, yes, you know, activism is important and protests are important and raising your voices are important, but ultimately like, don't we also need to get different people in the seats that, you know, the change is coming from? Absolutely. Um, no, we each have a role to play in our democracy. And at the beginning of that is us, obviously all who can being registered to vote and to vote. Um, but democracy doesn't begin in, in, um, at election day. And so not only do we need to be active citizens and have direct conversations with our elected leadership, we also need to encourage, um, uh, those, uh, to consider running for office where those, those very policies are made. And, um, at the end of the day, if you look at, I'll, I'll use an example, 2018 was a record breaking year for women. Um, it would be, I would call it 1992 was the first year of the woman, um, where there, you know, the, um, the Anita Hill hearings catapulted a, you know, um, a large class of women sure. to run for office. And frankly, in that class, elected the first black woman to the U.S. Senate um, in Kara Mosley Braun. But you saw coming out of the 2016 election cycle, the 2000 and the 2017 um, Women's March, a record number of women running for office, uh, including us electing uh, um, five black women to Congress in 2018, the 50th and the same year that would have been the 50th anniversary of Shirley Chisholm being elected as the first black woman uh, to be elected to that body. Wow. And so I bring that up that we celebrate the gains because it was five black women elected that year. But we also in that freshman class sent a teacher um, Johanna Hayes, who's uniquely positioned to sit at a decision-making table to talk about educating um, our students during a global pandemic. We sent a nurse who's uniquely positioned um, to sit at a decision-making table during a global pandemic in Lauren Underwood. We sent Lucy McBath, a, um, a mother of a slain black boy, um, at a time where we're talking about sensible gun reform and the attack on blackness and um, particularly black men. Um, and then we sent um, two local uh, legislators a city council member in Ayanna Presley and a state legislator in Ilhan Omar, who can literally talk about um, local governments uh, in a way as we start talking about a recovery, an economic recovery during a pandemic. And so when we send um, women and particularly black women uh, into elected office, they come from um, varied um, experiences backgrounds and um, qualifications that I think actually strengthens those strengthens those decision-making tables. And so we need to find more women uh, in, in, in the lens of higher heights, more black women um, that can um, continue to step into and um, step into leadership roles that will help to move this country to higher heights. Um, I, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how to follow that up because I, it's just hearing about the work that you're doing and, and the impact that they're, that these people are making. And I, I hope it's just the beginning. That's why I'm, I was, you know, I did a lot of research on where I wanted to try to support and you guys just 
you know, you stood out to me. Um, the last thing I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because I always like ask, ask my guests to make predictions. It's usually about sports, but um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do something a little different. Um, we still don't have, I mean, I've never had a uh, black uh, female governor um, of a state in this country. Can you please tell me that this is something that is going to change in the next, I don't know, what are we talking? Is this going to change in the next five years? The next, it, it, can it change in the next five years? Can you give me... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so our work uh, is twofold. Um, it is to, you know, recruit, train and support black women to run for office. And so we believe that there is absolutely a pathway for bl- a black woman to be a uh, to be a governor um, in this country. Um, and Stacey Abrams 2018 run, I think, similar to a Shirley Chisholm 1968 congressional run in 1972 presidential run will forever change the roadmap for black women um, interested in running for um, uh, office, um, particularly governors. And that being said, you already have two black women declaring uh, to run for governor in one state in Virginia next year. I, I think um, I think that's a pretty good indication that maybe maybe change is, is on the horizon, hopefully faster than we think. It can't come soon enough. Um, Glenda, I, I know you're busy. I, I know this was a, a, a big, you know, um, uh, this was something that, you know, was meaningful enough for you to do to come and speak. And, and that means a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to my listeners. So thank you so much for, you know, giving me a couple minutes here today. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. And thanks for your support. Of course. Thank you. Uh, All right. So now joining me on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, man, I have had some esteemed guests over the last several months. Um, The lowest point. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of like what what's the proper adjective to describe. I'll say this. Carl, <laughs> let me say. Well, let me let me say who it is first. So, um, Alexander Cohen, as we've just established, I I should say your full name just for posterity's sake. But you know him um, as Budum. So first, let me welcome you to the show, Budum. How are you? Thank you. I'm pretty good. Thank Thank you for having me on. <laughs> you You really don't need to thank me for having you on. I'll I'll say this. I don't. I don't think um, there's a lot of people who say a lot of nonsense on Twitter. I don't take notice of hardly any of them. And I told you this before I went on your podcast. Um, God, when was that? That was a few months ago. Um, that yeah, like at the beginning of quarantine. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I said like you you always stood out, um, and not for like bad any bad reason. I just you know you you. Uh, you make people take notice, and you have certainly been making people take notice of late. Um, so, yeah, man, it's it's good to finally have you on. How you how you doing? Thank you. I'm I'm doing pretty good, though. I don't know. I got I got some takes that uh, have uh, <laughs> been uh, that I've been getting off lately. You know, I got I got th- some thoughts to get off. Um, so I don't know. Other than that, I'm pretty good. But obviously, you know, I'm like ranting about Tom Tibbet. I'm ranting about a marginal coaching decision on Twitter all the time. So, I mean, I guess because of that, my life's pretty good. Uh, I can be in a place to do that. Um, yeah. That's a, that's, are you knocking on wood? What? Oh, that, that it's not going to be tips. No, no, I'm saying when, when you were like, I'm in a good place to be able to do that. And then I heard a knocking sound. Was that you oh, knocking uh, on wood? That was me, that was me fidgeting. 
<laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's, I was about to say that would, that would have been really appropriate. Um, I'm happy you said that, that it's a marginal coaching decision because I was on with, um, um, Alex, was it Alex? Fuck. I get these podcasts confused. Who was, no, it was Schwinn. That's it. It was Schwinn and Drew and JB. And we were recording for the PNT show. And, um, JB actually posed to me, he was giving me a little shit because he's like, I think it was the day that I, it was the day that we were going back and forth. My God, how I wish I would have never responded to you. That's like an, <laughs> that's like an, an that's a, your biggest mistake. Like everything I say, like you can't, you just got to let it go or else like you're going to get drawn. I literally was in a, like, I, I just can't, I can't stop and it's hard. Like I'm not, I'm not going to concede ever, you know? So well, you, you don't, don't want to go into it because then I'm just going to. I mean, you're not married. You have no kids, right? Right, exactly. So, like, if I was in your situation, I'd probably be responding. I, 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 I am married and I have a kid, and I'm still responding to people on Twitter all day long. So, if if you're you, you should definitely be responding. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So, uh, it was that day that I tweeted something out in the morning about Tom <laughs> Tom Thibodeau's coaching uh, record in terms of his net rating. Um, cumulatively that that was honestly a bootum there was a bootum-esque tweet honestly that was like it was a bit of you know like that got under my skin to combine to combine his net rating with with jason kidd that was that was like boot like it was a bootum move right there it was <laughs> it was below the belt um and it was multiple <laughs> kicks below the belt it wasn't just one kick it was a couple of kicks um and you know what and i and you you made me reflect on perhaps the impropriety of that tweet because my purpose in sending it out was not to disparage Kenny Atkinson, who, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who's listening to this, you know, hoping to hear, I mean, I'm sure we'll go at it a little bit, but like I would be thrilled if Kenny Atkinson is the next Knicks coach. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach for a lot of reasons. Again, I'll, I'll leave those for you to say, but like, the idea that Kenny's a bad a bad coach. the the purpose of the purpose of the tweet was to more, I guess, draw attention to the fact that um, maybe in shoveling some dirt over Tibbs' grave uh, over the last several years, we've you know we've too quickly glossed over some some of his accomplishments, and I think there's nuance involved there. But I just I want to I want to say that at the outset that was that was why I said that the tweet in case we weren't clear on that. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's the other thing. People people kind of get it twisted. Like I, I'm never like once like arguing that like like the Tibbs Bulls were like very good. Like I know I'm like a young man, but like I I grew I grew up watching like the the Tibbs Bulls like break my heart like a few times. Like like when. I mean, I don't know if that that's really accurate, but I'm just saying. Like, I, I saw, I, remember, I I've watched the Bulls essentially. Like, my first one of my first basketball memories is watching like in some restaurant, like the Bulls Sixers, like original 2012 series. Like, I, I've seen how good the Bulls are. Like, I've my never, God, how how old are you? I, I'm 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 20. Oh but. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I'm almost twice your fucking age. <laughs> Dolar. But I'm just saying. I my guest I, tonight is 20 years old. God, someone put a bullet in my head. 
This is all this is all going on the podcast. You're jealous? I think I feel. I mean, you're older than you. Okay, we, we should get back to basketball. Um anyway, continue. So you you remember and you were watching the game. Listen, right like me, like pe- people are always, you know, making your point. They're like, hey, Tibbs is good before you like go saying that Kenny's better. Or like I, I know what Tibbs did in Chicago. I, I saw I saw the Knicks like be unable to score against him. I remember it was like a like we still celebrate Melo winning a random regular season game against them. Like, <laughs> what, what was that in 2012? Like it's still Ugh. like it's still like celebrated like every week. To to the Bulls, it's just a regular season game they lost to the Knicks. It's like one of the biggest rec- accomplishments Be- in recent history. Like, because every inch you took against Tibbs yeah, Bulls, unless would, and we could get into it, unless maybe towards the end and you were one of those more high powered offenses, it felt like you were taking a mile. So yeah. Yeah, I, I remember, like, just, like, a random thing. I just remember, like, the Knicks or some team scored against them on, like, a wide-open, like, pick-and-roll. And, like, the announcers were, like, like, like the was the craziest thing ever because, like, they were, like, you know, <laughs> well-oiled machine. Like, I, I'm aware of how good the Bulls are. I saw I saw them beat the Heat streak. Like, I, I saw, you know, a break the Heat went, like, 27-game win streak. I was rooting for the Nets in 2013 when Nate Robinson, like, destroyed them. Um, I was you know, I was also rooting for Nate Robinson that series. Yeah, like I understand, like I I understand Tom Thibodeau. It's just it, you know, like you pointed out today, really, just the thing is we've we've seen in recent history that what he had a lot of like you you put it out pretty flawlessly today, which is why like like I'm not sure like I I mean I will see we'll see part two, but your article today discussing like why Thibodeau's success then wouldn't work as well in the NBA and kind of did with the Wolves. Like that's kind of why I wouldn't go with him over Kenny. So I want to, we'll get, let's get to Kenny in a second. Where I'm at with Tibbs at this point. So God, do you prefer him over Kenneth? Like, is he your number one outside of they're They're neck and neck at this. I've, I've, I've gone on record already in saying if I had my, my choice, it would be Becky Hammond, but that's, and again, I've said this before, and I'll admit it again. That's that's not altogether like completely um, like evi- I I go on evidence for everything I think or and write and whatever I say with basketball with Becky Hammond. I just there's a part of me that just wants to see a woman coach the Knicks because I have a daughter and I want to be able to point to the TV and say to my daughter like that's the coach of the Knicks. Yeah, that that'd be pretty dope. That was like the one Spurs assistant they like haven't interviewed. It's like I don't know. Which really- is I I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe they asked and she turned them down. I, I I don't know. But look, also, I do think she's immensely qualified. She's one of the best point guards um, the NBA or WNBA has seen and, she, you know, players. Whatever. We don't have to talk about Becky Hammond. Other than her, it's neck and neck between Tibbs and Kenny. And I think if you were going – if you were going purely off of what you can see on paper – the numbers in terms of Kenny's offenses, Kenny's defenses, um, Kenny's players' resumes before he got there versus what he did with them. It might, it, it might be Kenny, but it, for me, it has to be Tibbs because two reasons. One, I, what he did in Chicago like there's there's a couple of things that I think we gloss over like there there are there's a bunch of coaches in the NBA 
there's maybe three or four that are terrible, and there's maybe three or four that are awesome. And then the rest are pretty good. And I think Kenny falls into the category of he's pretty good. And he's shown us that he's pretty good. And maybe he's better than pretty good. I think Tibbs has is the only one of the two that has at least stepped foot into the top category when you consider like the man lost the MVP, right? He had a he had the youngest MVP in history, who by the way wasn't even on an all NBA team before he got to Tibbs. He lost that guy. That guy was did not did not, you know, play a game. Um or or I should say he didn't not play a game, but he missed a lot of time the following season, right? Derrick Rose in 2011-12. In the God, I have it right here. In the almost 2000 minutes they did not play. 66 games um worth of minutes. I, I think Rose played how many minutes that season? He played 39 games. So he played he missed 25 games that next season and he obviously did not play all of the rest of the games. They were still a plus 7.2 net rating. Like, that to me is not something you could do unless you're an elite coach. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Like, again, like the Bulls were very good. Tibbs had like the original Kenny team, I'd say. Like, I don't, I don't remember. Yours was like 2015. Like, when they, I mean, again, we, we you could argue that it was still more, it was better than we thought. But they had, it was literally like DJ Augustine as a point guard. Well, it was really more Joakim Noah as the point guard with DJ Augustine as like the fake yeah. point guard. And like they were still like a good team. And Joakim Noah was like, you know, third in MVP voting. Like Tibbs was very good in Chicago. But it's, I mean, my, I, I mean, let me know if I'm interrupting. But no. again, my, my my thing is what you were saying, what would you point out today? I mean, maybe, I mean, again, we'll see. We got in part two when it comes out. And I don't want to spoil it. But my point is a lot of that success was done in a way that, wouldn't work today, and then it really didn't necessarily work in Minnesota as so, we saw. So, and that, no, but that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm in the process of of parsing out now. Is was it that he couldn't coach in Minnesota, or was it that he couldn't coach those players in Minnesota? Which again further complicates it because he brought in some of those players, and like everybody shits on Cat and Wiggins, like rightly so. But Jamal Crawford's a guy that he brought in and played a lot of minutes. That was his decision. Forget about forget about yeah. Tibbs the GM. Tibbs the coach played Jamal Crawford all well, those yeah, minutes. That, that's kind of my point. People bring up the you know the Pobo Pobo a lot, and that's a relevant thing. Part of the reason why Tibbs had to play his guys so many minutes and why they were so bad when the stars weren't in is because he had like the worst bench ever. But my thing is that that doesn't make. You know, just because there's a reason for why things weren't better, it doesn't necessarily mean his coaching decisions were good. Like I, in Game One in the Rockets, um, like in the Rockets Wolves series, the playoff series, yeah, yeah. Rose, Derrick Rose, and Jamal Crawford took 25 shots combined, uh, to, and Jimmy and Cat only took 20. In Game Two, Rose and Crawford took 18 to Jimmy and Cat 15. I mean, that's what this one tweet. Yeah, no, I could. I, uh, I'm saying like. The, the Pobo is a real thing. No one's no one's denying the Pobo, but like that doesn't mean the coaching, the coaching of the the Pobo's decision still wasn't very good. And not, and, and not, not horrible, but like, same that, thing that, with Jeff Teague. He he, the Pobo brought in Jeff Teague. Tibbs, the coach, 
played well, Jeff Teague. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of like that's kind of like again, he kind of screwed himself. Like Ricky Rubio, if we're talking about Tibbs' successes, he might have had his like again, like like I feel like I'm being so pro Tibbs right now because more than I can be on Twitter because you know there's yeah, rest, I know, I know. room for nuance. But Ricky Rubio had like one of the best seasons of his career under Tibbs. But then he immediately got rid of Tibbs and replaced him with Jeff Teague. And Jeff Teague immediately had like the worst years of career. Maybe if he had Rubio instead of Teague the whole time, I would have felt higher on Tibbs. But instead, he, he swapped the two and Jeff Teague declined under Tibbs. That gets into the other part of this discussion, which is like when players get better and when players get worse, how much do we attribute that to coaching? And, and again, you know, you brought up what guys were before they got to Kenny versus what guys were after they got to Kenny. And then there's those types of arguments for Tibbs too. But again, most of them are in Chicago, like Noah and Dang and, 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 you know, even Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol made his last all-star team in 2010, 11, went three years without making, yeah. I um, thinking, I think. Pau Gasol's number, I, was, I was watching some Pau Gasol Bulls highlights the other day, as people, people do. He was, he was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> no, he made an all NBA team. So like he, he had, and, but again, and, and even in Minnesota, like, yeah, Kat and Jimmy made their all NBA teams there, but those teams were not, they were bad um, on, on defense and on offense. If you want to say a lot of their success was due to the individual brilliance of towns and to a lesser extent, Butler, you could make that argument. I I've been focusing only on the defense and I, I guess where I'm at is this, and this is, I'll pose this question to you. I think I don't know that any coach could have been successful playing the players that he did the minutes that he that he did. And I and I and I and yes, there is some fault there because again, he played them so many minutes. Was there room for him to play guys like um uh Jones? Um, I always want to say Trey Jones. Trey Jones is his brother who helped the Knicks draft. Um the, the the older brother who's now in Memphis, whatever. He, he was there under Tibbs. He was much better. Like his defensive rating, Tyus Jones, excuse me, staring me in the face. Like his defensive rating with Butler is was outstanding in 2017-18. Like he could have played that guy more. There were other guys. Bielitsa, he probably I, never I played Bielitsa as much. Like, Tyus Jones was like the Frank of the of the team. Like everyone was always mad that like yeah. at, everyone was always mad that Tyus Jones wasn't playing more and he'd like play uh, like Rose instead of him or like with him, like people, people are unhappy with the management of Tyus Jones. So, so is it that, and it's not that he forgot how to coach. It's just that he was given this group of guys and like made some poor lineup decisions, but ultimately there was nothing really much he could do. Um, and then the only caveat I'll add to that is the other big knock on him for me, which I'm realizing is he just, relentlessly insisted on continuing to play two bigs at once, whether it was Cat and Taj, whether it was a playing dang at, at power forward, whether it was, um, you know, playing, I'm trying to think like he played, he played Taj and Cat so much together. And again, this is a legitimate knock, but I, I keep going back to the thing about like, how much of his, the fact that he was president and he assembled this team and he felt like he was in it, like, I have to play these guys. I'm the guy who brought these guys in. Um, I don't know. I guess it it probably worries you more <laughs> a good deal. Well, I mean, here, here's my thing. Like, that's, 
all look pretty relatively fair. Like, well, I mean, one thing I will say is listening to the Posting and Toasting podcast, who have honestly, like, you know, been been clashing with a few of those fellows on their, like, pro tip stuff. They, yeah, like, they, they clash with everybody. Don't, don't take it well, personally. Yeah, well, just because everyone's, like, being pro tips and not, I'm not. But they, they kind of outlined better than I really – they educated me on the decision, even though they're, like, pretty, like, you know, pro more pro tips than I am. They kind of educated me on uh, the defense and stuff. Like, uh, like, Cat and Wiggins are obviously not good defenders. But, like – you know, one bad decision, like, uh, you know, Tibbs apparently made was having Cat, who's freaking slow, like, ice the screens. And, you know, he wasn't capable of that. So, like, I mean. But so what was the alternative? That's my, that's what I want to focus on. What do you do with Cat? Like, where, what's the solution to make that guy a workable defender? And well, and to a certain extent, Andrew Wiggins, too. Because, he, I mean, talk about a guy. I mean, I've been watching clip after clip. Talk about a guy who has his head in his up. I was about to say up his ass. It, it, let's say in the clouds. Like I don't. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, one. I think you you just want to limit cats' mobility as much as possible and just keep him at the rim, block shots. I mean, I think that's why he had so much success at Kentucky for whatever. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not too nuanced on this stuff, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, cat came out no, of the he, draft. He like, looked like a good defender at Kentucky. I remember that because like he didn't really have much of a job to do besides block shots but i mean here's my thing on tibbs and the defense like just wiggins and towns are obviously not easy to work on uh defensively they probably dropped like like he he still probably got like a decent improvement from them even with how bad they were on on defense at least he had stretches Um, he had stretches yeah yeah um but my my thing is if He's not elevating these guys like what's, you know, what's really the the appeal. And meanwhile, like I look at Kenny and before the season, uh, I, I literally made like a tweet. I mean, maybe I'm just an idiot, but I made a tweet being like, look at the Nets roster. Like they lost all their like decent defenders while like replacing them with bad ones. And like they're going to suck on defense this year. Like their, their best rated defender is DeAndre Jordan, who we saw with the Knicks, is not actually a good defender. I was like. This team is gonna suck on defense. DeAndre Jordan is the most. He makes he makes Andrew Wiggins look like the most committed defender on the league in the but, league. But that's the thing. He Kenny had the Nets as a top like a, in in defensive rating. They were eighth in defensive rating. Like I would not have expected that. DeAndre Jordan. Like I was all prepared to get off my snarky tweets, being like, you know, the Nets really bungled that, giving him that much money. You know, forty million, which you know, I guess they still technically did. But DeAndre Jordan was like a solid backup center this year, and he was like a net negative. He, he got better towards the end, I think, of the year. Yeah, but I mean, that's that that's kind of the difference for me. That you know, Tibbs, you could maybe excuse like the lack of defensive success, but you could have done that. You know, the Nets. I think you look at them; they could have been the worst defensive team in the league, and you could have been like, "All right, that's fair. Like, what do you expect from a, a team who's like starting?" You know, Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, Jared Allen, who lets Ennis Kander go off for like 30 on him in his sleep. <laughs> That's, but, that is un, that is untoward to, uh, to talk about Jared Allen that way. Well, I, I love I love Jared Allen, but Ennis Kander, like, Ennis Kander earned his like 18 million against him. Like, he, he was like prime Shaq against uh, Jared Allen. Like, that, that's, that's the difference to me that 
Kenny had a lot of success on defense. So I, my thing is, just, I'd rather go with the guy who, in his last stop, just showed, in, like, with less talent. With, with, like, you know, it wasn't a good defensive team. And they were, he, good, good defensive talent. And they had a very good defensive season. So I'd just rather go with that than with Ibs and Towns. And, you know, maybe that's, like, a little unfair. Maybe if, you know, uh, you know, he... Uh, it's not unfair. If, if he didn't have the worst offenders, you know, maybe he would have done well. But it's just, like... We just saw Kenny have proven success with a bad team. Like, you know, I'd like to see what he could do with Mitch and Frank instead of, uh, you know, Dinwiddie and Allen, which, you know, I'd say there's kind of similarities between uh, Mitch and Jared. Well, I mean, certainly physically in like what, yeah, what they're capable of doing. I, I think it's a, what's the best way to put it? I, it's funny because we I, again on the same the PNT show I think maybe it was JB who asked me like what what do I think the safer choice is and I think I said Tibbs specifically because I thought away from like he was in Minnesota he was given a situation where his two foundational core building blocks guys that he absolutely needed to play. I mean, we could quibble about 32 minutes a night, 35 minutes a night, whatever, when they were healthy. Like, he, though, that's what he was handed. And I, I said I thought Tibbs was a safer choice because if you give him basically anybody else, you know, it'll be closer to what we saw in Chicago than Minnesota. Now that I'm hearing you talk about this, I think just because of the the system that Kenny Atkinson ran in, in Brooklyn – there is a very good argument for why he's the safer choice because he runs a system that you give him not anyone, but like, you know, well, anyway, I mean, there's a good chance, you know, he did. I mean, a lot of it is relying on like rim protection. If he didn't have Jared Allen, the defense might not have been that good. It wasn't really so great before him, but I just think, I mean, that's kind of the thing we're talking about how t- the defense tips. It's, it's a stable at- system that he ran in Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. And meanwhile, we're, you know, you wrote an article today questioning whether Tibbs defensive systems would work as well today, if well at all. And I think that's kind of the difference. I, I don't think Tibbs is necessarily the safest bet. I think we get a little led astray from the fact, you know, the Wolves made the playoffs. But like, again, I just don't, you know, a lot of that was just, you know, having Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns were pretty good. It wasn't like they won 60 games with them. They won 47. I don't think that's like some miraculous feat. No, and they, listen, you, they, I mean, they're over under, I think you, I'm sure you know, not, not that we should talk about Vegas over unders. God forbid. Well, yeah, no, that's what I, I caused. That was one of my classic, <laughs> that's one of my classic Budim tweets that people did not like. I said that Tibbs. In, in response to your Budum tweet saying the Tibbs effect is uncanny, pretty much, I said that T- Tibbs hasn't had a, a team to exceed or match its over-under since um, 2012, which is a little unfair because he's had a lot of injuries too. I mean, they That's crazy. That is – they're over-under – what was their over-under in 24 – hold on. I have it right here. They're over-under in 2014-15. Well, well, maybe – It was 55 maybe, and a half. Holy shit. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Well, I mean – yeah, but I, but also to be fair, again, like it's it's everything has context. If you look at those teams that he didn't meet that fifty-five one team, I mean, like Rose and Butler, you know, they they always like miss like twenty to thirty games. Well, so yeah, again, yeah, they, they, they had a lot of injuries. 
But again, a lot of that injury is also, you could say, that has a good deal to possibly do with Tibbs and the Well, that's, oh, the, that's the other that's the other complicating part of all this. And I'll admit that for my position to be tenable, I basically need to <laughs> I I basically need to argue that either we take him for his word of what he's some stuff he said recently, which is that he's, you know, he's learned and this and that. Um you know, and but that even that he's never he hasn't yet come out and said like you can't play guys as many minutes today in the modern league. He's just basically, he's kind of couched it and hemmed and hawed a little bit, but that, whatever, that's an organizational decision. I'm I'm not, that's my personal belief is like, if, if you're a good sound organization, which we hope under Leon Rose, the Knicks will be like minutes restrictions and things of that nature are things that you should be, are decisions you should be coming to like as a team, meaning yeah. as a front office and, and a coaching staff. Um, but, um, in terms of what you were saying with the defensive system, I I think I think Tibbs has shown us, and again, I have to go back to Chicago because in, in Minnesota, here's the thing, here's what keeps eating at me. He was given this team in Minnesota, right? He got there in 2016-17 and he was like, Look, you're the president, you're the coach. This is all yours. You have free reign to do whatever you want. You're going to get all the runway you need. You get a whatever he got, a four or five year. Like, talk about a guy that had more job security than anyone in basketball. It's fair to say that it was Tibbs, right? In 2016, that that's fair to say. Yeah, they were like just like the wolves are broken. Fix, please fix us. Yeah. We'll, give, we'll give you towns. We'll give you. We'll give you the greatest prospect of all time, and Andrew Wiggins. Like, make us. Yes, make us good. So. He instituted the system that he instituted and it clearly didn't work because they were not, they were not good on defense. Um, and, but I think he, in his mind, he's like, all right, I'm, this is not, I don't have a year to prove myself. This is a multi-year thing. So I'm going to institute this and it's like over time that will pay off. And then after a year, he's like, well, shit, I can't do it without, you know, some better players. You went out and got Butler and then it got better a little bit, but not really. Um, and I think by the time he realized, Oh shit, I can't run this system with these players. Um, it was too late. And by that point he was midway through his, his third year and he got fired. I, I guess what I do still ultimately believe is that, a system where you I, – I don't think you could run, like, purely ice um, and, like, be all about, like, flooding the strong side and, like, you know, everything that he did, all of that stuff. I don't think you could run a pure system like that. But then towards the end of his time in Minnesota, right before he got fired, we saw him make adjustments. So I, it, it's a leap of faith that I'm taking. I'll admit it, it. It has to be a leap of faith. But that, if you, that, oh, sorry, no, no, no. Just the, le- the last thing I'll say is like if you take the evidence from Chicago, and then that sliver, that I, I'll admit it's a sliver of hope, but it is a sliver um, that we got towards the end of the time in Minnesota of the progress he was making. I, I don't know. That's it's a higher ceiling, lower floor play. I guess that's what I have to. That that's. I'm glad you said that, and that's essentially something I feel like I've replied to you like three times now like why go for the guy you have to hope with 
I mean, we're relying you on... You do. You have to. We're, we're, we're relying on not a very big sample that Tibbs has changed. Oh, it was and like two months. It was not at barely. But also, also, like a part of that change that you brought up and I've seen Trini bring up is that, you know, that 27-game stretch after the Butler trade. But like, I think a good... I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't gone through game by game, but he might have made some adjustments. But I think a lot of that change might have just been Robert Covington being Robert Covington. Like, he was... Like, he's essentially, like, a great... I mean, he's a great defender. He's, like he's, a great, he's very, very good. Yes. Yeah. Like, he, he was essentially... When he got traded to the Rockets here, like, he was essentially... Like, he's essentially, like, a, a rim protector. He averages nearly two blocks a game for his career. I so saw he, that stat for a while. He was averaging... Yeah, he was he was getting a lot of blocks. That was cool. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of my thing. That even in our, like, slim hope of, you know... The sample size that we're hoping is he's changing, which again, even if Covington didn't exist and it was just like a 27 game stretch that they did better, like, you know, that could have been a fluke. You know, I, I was an idiot uh, around that time too when Melo on the Rose Bulls, like, all of a sudden averaged like seven assists for like a three game stretch. I was like, all right, he's changed. Like, he understands passing's good. And that did not happen. So even then, it's just not a big sample size. And a lot of that is on, you know, I, I think a lot of that can be attributed to Covington. Not that, not that Tibbs did bad to go 15 and 12 i'm just saying it's not necessarily that you know he he made big adjustments and understands stuff now and and so i'm just glad you said it's a leap it's a leap and i i think you have to acknowledge that i don't think you could say that the the wolves were good and that makes him good i think you have to say you know there's a lot of concerns about his modern you know modernity i believe it i believe the word is modernity (laughs) And like you just have to be like, all right, this is a dude that was so great with the Bulls. And it's not like they were bottom feeders with the – wait, what did I say? Wolves? They were so great with the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottom feeders with the Wolves. Like you, the, like you could make that argument. They're just like – like Tom Thibodeau is like a, a Hall of Famer. Like you can assume he's going to adapt. Like, I mean you, you, can, you can just think like he's – like I'm saying, that, that's what the argument has to be. That you're hoping he's so smart that even though he didn't adapt in Minnesota – that now he, you know, he's smart enough that he will. But that's the other thing. That this is not the first MIT Sloan like press conference tour that he's like. No, he I, did. I saw that. I saw that tweet today. He did the same thing in 2015, yeah, like, 16. That was a very well documented thing. He took a year off to study the game and you know learn the modern NBA, and then he came back and did the same stuff with the Wolves. Like <sighs> there wasn't that much change, even in his last year. Like. You know, people say he, he played the core guys a bit less. He he ran 30-year-old Derrick Rose. He, he almost put him back in the gutter. Like, he was playing him, like, 38. <laughs> uh, he, he played him 38 minutes five times, and all five times I, he, like, missed the next game. And yet, and yet Rose swears by him up and down. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not denying, I'm not denying that. Like, like I'm, my, my case isn't really going to be that, that uh, players hate Tibbs. I mean, I think for well, that's Tibbs, that's smart because the ones who have had him, with the exception of Cat, like they swear by it. Yeah, but but that's that. So I mean, I, I guess that that's the bulk of my point. That this isn't Tibbs' second chance. It's essentially, I mean, it, it's his third. It's not. It's not the first. It's the the Wolves already had this hope stage essentially. Like Wolves fans were like, let's hope he adapted, and then he didn't. So we're now seeing that didn't really work with the Wolves, and now we're hoping with the Knicks it does. Yeah, so that, that's my concern, and I I just don't think you have to hope as much 
with Kenny and the Nets. Like there wasn't, there's, there's certainly stuff to pick at with, with Kenny, like, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the offense, you know, players blowing up about him, but there's also a lot of, a lot of the Kenny problems are problems Tibbs faced in Minnesota. Like everyone harps on uh, Kenny for blowing leads, which was a problem. But I saw a tweet from April of 2017 before they traded for Butler or 2018 before the, no, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw you retweeted that today, that they yeah. blew how they, many fourth-quarter leads? That tweet, I mean, it could have been more. They blew 21 double-digit leads. I mean, well, I mean, like, and that and that would explain why their point differential that season uh, was that of a team that should have had a much better record than they ended up with. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the so a lot of the similarities are there, – there's a, a lot of the problems with Kenny are problems Tibbs faced. I – Minnesota too. I don't and- worry about any problems with Kenny. Honestly, I, I really don't think Kennedy ha- Kenny has any negatives to his candidacy. I just, again, to me, it's about a, a floor ceiling play. And I guess the the last thing I want to say is that, and this is the part that there's like no numbers can quantify this. And I not not to give myself a a, a shameless uh, plug, but um, on the other podcast I do, the the Hoop Spy, um, I was talking to George Carl the other day. And he was talking about how, oh God, I forget what team he was, he was referencing. He was referencing some team that he, we were talking about and he said a a line, he's like, they really took to the coaching and he said some other things about it, but that was the line that he said that really stood out in my mind. And like, if a team doesn't take to your coaching, yes, that's, on the coach because you as the coach are responsible for making sure the team takes to you um, more than anybody else is responsible. But at the same time, I just wonder how much like, again, you know, we know what cat is. I, I don't think we need to talk about it. And Wiggins, I, I don't know. I can't really get a read on Wiggins, but it's the proof would seem to be in the pudding here. And then when you throw Butler into that mix and like Tibbs is like, it's you like you, it just seemed to me like a concoction of players that mixed together with this coach. It was, it was just never going to work and it was always going to be bad. And there were always going to be like, I, and that's why I, I say I need to still dig into the film a little bit more because there were stretches of play that they had in Minnesota. And I'm talking about not even the last two months, but like during 2017, 18, where they would go, they went like the month of January, I think that, that year or for the first like eight games or so of January, they had like a hundred point something defensive rating. It was like, I don't know, top three or four in the league, something along those lines. Um, Like they had stretches of good play where maybe like they were buying in and then it just all went to shit. I, I don't know. And that's, again, something that we can't I, – I don't think you could quantify. And I just wonder if this mix of guys here in New York – and we're talking about – who are we talking about? We're talking about RJ. I think we know what RJ is. I think we know what RJ is about. Mitch, kind of same thing. Frank is here. And then they get to – that's the other nice part of this. They get to kind of mold this team in whatever image they want because, like, there aren't any other – you know, real core pieces here. Um, so what what are your thoughts on that? The idea that like, yes, Tibbs has only won with Tibbs players, but 
there's so much leeway on with this with this roster and what they're able to do. Um, I mean, I, I think that's all fair. It's just again, I I just don't really know why I'd, I'd go with Tibbs over Kenny to do that when we saw like I just feel like a lot of the stuff with uh, Tibbs is quantifying like why they weren't as successful as maybe they should have been like the, the fits were horrible Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler are like the same play you know player except Andrew Wiggins is bad that's a great life it's like, it's like if you took it's like if you took Jimmy Butler and like you gave him like an hour of sleep well actually I guess Jimmy Butler like doesn't see that oh yeah I was about to say it's probably not a bad <laughs> he's like a he's like a high Jimmy Butler Andrew Wiggins like that's that's that, what he plays like that's fair I mean yeah so so I mean again it but the thing is just you, even when you're acknowledging why tips might not have been as successful like that's still not an art you know you have to argue that Tibbs was so good with the Bulls and you trust in his faith to adapt to make in all, you know, the explanations for his Wolves and not being that great to all be better over what Kenny did, which was pretty great. And, you know, while, you know, the Nets definitely had like, you know, when Kenny took over, like, you know, they had, they had Sean Marks, like they weren't a stupid team, but like the talent wasn't as good as the Wolves by, by a long shot. And like, you know, the, the, the situation was definitely, you know, less dysfunctional, but like, those Nets teams could have just stayed a 21 team like the Knicks and just like never improved. And you can make the same arguments being like, all right, you know, you gave Kenny Atkinson like, you know, G leaguers, salary dumps. Like, of course he's not going to win. So that's, that's kind of my thing. If we saw Kenny do well with, you know, less talent, why, why not, you know, like here's like my thing, like the Nets are a worse situation than the Wolves and a worse situation than the Knicks currently have. So if he could do well, but hold on that. We okay. both know that that's probably not going to stay that way because this, again, we don't know who it's going to be. We don't know, but like, I think everybody's under the same belief that the, the roster is not going to look the same as it was last year for New York. And, and, and the, the thinking is, and again, this complicates matters because how realistic is this? Who the hell knows? But like the thinking is that the roster is going to look very different in two to three years, you know, like, yeah. so who's the best guy to, and I think that's the other part of this that we haven't even touched on, which is like, I think there's this notion that if you, if you, you know, you, like s- certain types of high level players, we know they could play under Tibbs because he's guided a guy to an MVP, right? Like we, he's guided Jimmy yeah. Butler as an all NBA player. Kenny, and I, this isn't a knock I have on Kenny, but I do think it is a for those who want to make it, it's it's a legitimate knock. It's like he hasn't shown the ability to coach like those types of players. Well, yeah, I mean that. Well, here's the thing that that's like theoretically, you know, fair. Like Kenny obviously has not had like you know he in the one time he had you know star level talent. Like they got mad at him and he got fired. Though to be fair, he didn't really coach them. But there's like an absence of proof doesn't necessarily mean that Kenny can't coach that upper level talent. I'd be inclined to believe that if he could coach bad talent, he could coach upper level talent. I mean, you could argue he couldn't because if he's like, you know, a college coach, like, you know, he's only able to get to the young guys. Maybe you can get the, the older guys. But we've actually seen like there's not really like Kenny hasn't had zero experience with veterans. And when he has, he's had success. 
Like he got Brooke Lopez to start shooting threes. Like I like I love bringing up in the 30 games he had Jeremy Lin the second time. Though I guess he also they were buds in New York. You know, Jeremy <laughs> Lin played uh, played great under him. Like he he gets he has gotten like he's had a bunch of vets to do well under him. Damari Carroll was a salary dump when he got traded to the Nets. Remember, like the, he, the Raptors gave him like 60 million to be LeBron's stopper. He sucked. The Raptors traded a first and second round picks to not have him on the team. And then he was like a good player for Kenny. Like he, well, I guess that was also a former Kenny player. So again, so I guess, I guess you could still say that, you know, maybe he hadn't had him. Or, but that's the other thing. In Atlanta, he was the, uh, you know, he was the head of player development. But that's okay to develop relationships with players and then yeah. have success I, under I, them I at a later but time. Just generally, Kenny, when we've seen Kenny have vets, he's had a lot of success with the vets. Obviously, Kyrie didn't like him, but he was like very much on track with having like his. That's, that's almost a compliment, though. Well, yeah, that, that's the other thing. Like, let's be real. The main that this kind of thing, like we're arguing about giving Tibbs a third chance, and when Kenny and over giving Kenny a second he, chance, he, and he when, should. He, he, I think what you're trying to say is he should yeah, still be should, on his first he chance. Be on his first chance. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant didn't like Kenny Atkinson. You're right. That's like essentially a compliment to Kenny Atkinson. Like Kyrie asked out of Kyrie was tired of playing with LeBron James. He hated playing for Brad Stevens. Kevin Durant didn't like the play style of like the historically good offensively Warriors. Like so, you know that's the reason. You know, it's Kenny. Like that. That's the reason he was fired. Like it's kind of silly because he didn't play Jared. You know, their buddy DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen. Like it's just like a little, a little silly. Like no, nah, listen, Kenny's. <laughs> He's a good coach. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, and again, this is not news. I've never argued this. It's lest anybody be like, oh, you're, you know, you're conceding support. It's why, you know, when I first talked about this, whatever it was a few months ago, and I said, if I had my pick of the logical candidates, I'd pick Kenny over Tibbs. Um, and I've been, you know, on the fence about this, I guess. Here, here's what it, here's what it sounds like we, we've come down to. The more I've looked into it, the more I think Tibbs is like what he could be here deserves the benefit of the doubt to take a chance on. And you're more like, why do we need to take a chance at all? Um, you're, you're, you're being more risk averse. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but I, it's not that I'm it's also not that I'm risk averse. It's like Kenny was very good. It's not just I'm risk averse. Like, again, Kenny shouldn't have been fired, really. So like. Kenny's also, I, I, I'm not necessarily, it, it's risk averse, but I, I don't necessarily buy into thinking that, you know, like, I don't just think Kenny's like the less risky candidate. I, I think, I don't know, I guess it is risk averse, but like, no, Kenny's very good. No, you, like, obviously you, you wouldn't be advocating for his hire if you didn't think he could be an elite NBA coach. Um, yeah. But you're, let me rephrase that. You're like the downside of Tibbs is more prominent in your mind is that fair is that fair to say i i guess so yeah i mean i i just don't think there's a lot of reason to doubt kenny and like i think he'll have uh, he would have a lot of success with the knicks when i think there's very real possibilities that um tibbs wouldn't like i i, I think the concerns with tibbs are higher than kenny's and again like the the success tibbs has had has come with you know theoretically you know we don't know what the next will have, but theoretically better talent than the uh, than 
Wait, what am I saying? They, like Tip, Tips. No, Tips' success yeah. came with came right. with good players. Yeah, yeah. and, and but, that's not necessarily like you know. You, again, it's similar thing with Kenny and Tips. Like you know, you 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 play who you play, but but just in Minnesota, there wasn't necessarily like um like there just wasn't anything so special about Minnesota, and like it wasn't just that like he did get you know the the player like. He rode Carlton Towns and Jimmy Blair to 47 wins, and that's not bad. But, like, there was also other guys that, like, fell off. And I just think, like, you know, Kenny had a – I think Kenny overachieved a lot in Brooklyn, and Tibbs left a lot to be desired in Minnesota. Or at least he did as expected with some concerns. So I just – I just don't really know, like, just why not Kenny outside of you thinking that – I mean, like, again, it's just like you, you think Tibbs will refine his old success, but just like off what we have recently, I just don't. I think I think they think and I and, and no, and I, I I think there is something to this. I think that they think that there is an indelible quality to Tibbs as a coach in terms of like. Well, I, I, I mean, I've probably spent more time potting and writing about this than anybody like. The idea that the Knicks culture, like the like the uh, the joke I always have with my buddies Josh and and Bernard, are like you know the rot is in the walls, and you know it's always like you know does it come from Dolan or is it something else? Like the point is, it's been twenty years of losing, and that starts to seep into the water at some point, and they've tried to bring in you know Phil Jackson and and. Carmelo Anthony came in and like, there's been all, you know, there's been lots of attempts to try to change that, you know, mentality. And they did for one, for one season, or I guess if you want to stretch it and say a couple of seasons, cause 2010, 11 was pretty good too. Um, as was 2011, 12. The point is it's not, it, it, I think if you said that the Knicks are currently like, perceived of as the toughest turnaround job in the NBA, if not all of sports, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, no, that's fair. That's a fair statement. That's kind of my, so why not go with Kenny? Because, because I had the toughest, like, remember like the nets were, that's no, that's not fair. You're just talking about that. Hold on. From a roster perspective and from an asset perspective, 1000% you're right. The nets were in the Bottom of the dirtiest toilet imaginable. But in terms of like a culture, there was no culture. They had no culture to escape from. It was nothing. So it's like they gave Kenny the chance to like, okay, here's a blank slate. You don't have to get out from under anything. You don't have to. You just build. You build on a flat surface. Yeah. The Knicks are not a flat surface. The Knicks are, I, you know, sorry. You know, it's a dumpster. It's been a dumpster for 20 years. I like. Any real fan who's not pulling the wool over their own eyes could admit that. Yeah. It, and I think and and by the way, who would know this better than Leon Rose and William Wesley, who have been like in and around this organization? That's the thing I keep coming back to, and that's ultimately why how did I start off this podcast? I started off this podcast by saying if you go strictly by the numbers and strictly by the data, Kenny's probably the guy. I don't think they're making this decision purely based on the numbers and the data. I think they're ba- they're making it based on the fact that they feel like they need some like 
almost otherworldly galvanizing force to come into this locker room and do, you know, like a magic act almost and be like, all right, this is a basketball guys. This is here's step yeah. one. I mean, I, I understand that. I just don't think it's proven Tibbs is really. No, maybe, maybe it's not because it didn't really happen in Minnesota. I, I, and I think, like I, I get think that. If, I, like, I think if you're going for the approach that like, like, I, I, like I've seen this argument a few times, like, if you're going Tibbs, like it's presumed that you're not going to do like it's presumed the Knicks don't want to do what the Nets did. But even if you, you want to take like the faster pace approach or you just like want to immediately go for it, like, well, you, you want to get competent. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. Just Tibbs, Tibbs essentially did that in Minnesota. Like they, they, they had Carl Anthony Towns. So like, all right, enough rebuilding. Like, let's get a star. Let's get Jimmy Butler. And it wasn't that inspiring. And then, like, it immediately blew up. Like, But how – again, I, I don't mean to repeat myself, but how much of that is Cat and Wiggins, whereas in New York, they're not handing him a Cat and a Wiggins. They're handing him essentially a blank slate other than R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, which I think we would all agree do not have the same approach to the game – as Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. That's I think they're they're not as good as Carl Anthony Towns. Oh no, they're no 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 they're oh. not. Well, I don't know. Wiggins, uh I don't know. We, I, I don't know. I'd say Wiggins is I mean we'll we'll see RJ. I'd say I don't know, I'd say Wiggins and RJ are, are pretty comparable. But I I, I I haven't watched enough of like Wiggins since he's like left Golden State and I haven't watched enough of him on offense. I just know the numbers. Um, but I also know the numbers of RJ and they're not really great. So no, that that's, that's the thing. My, yeah. my point is Kenny, like the Nets, even though they didn't have a, a lot of talent, they, they had like, you know, a, a clean slate and stuff. Yeah, I know. And he, and he did, he, he did yeoman's work. Like that, that's, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's my thing. You know, like you just look at who, uh, Kenny developed and, you know, they, they weren't necessarily on the level of, Mitch and RJ and you know he just he had so many people take big strides and again my, my, my point you called nonsense earlier which you know maybe the way I phrased it was like we're, we're spending all this time talking about Carl Towns being like uh, which you know, point is this I forget <laughs> it's, it's the cat D'Lo comparison the cat D'Lo compare wait I forget this one you, you just called it nonsense like two hours ago when you're like talking about having me on the pot Oh, I think um, I was just screwing around. I forget what what did I say? I don't even remember. <laughs> well, I I don't know. Um, let me see. Uh, I tweet too much, man. You really you tweet a lot, man. You well, are you are like, a serial tweeter. But, well, right now with this Tibbs Kenny stuff, I'm just like I don't know. It's like a disease. I just can't. I can't go over. I, I, I hope you're picking up some followers at least. No, I've lost like 15 followers during this time. <laughs> That serves you right, you bastard. I'm so annoying and I can't shut up about it. (laughs) Oh, I said it would have. Here's my point. I mean, here's what I said. Uh, I said it would have been impossible for Tibbs to get Steves with bad attitudes to play defense in Cat and Wiggins, yet Kenny was able to pull it off with D'Lo. Oh, yeah, no, I was just screwing around. That wasn't a legit. I I, I know. I mean, mean, again, I might have been exaggerating a bit, but that's that's kind of my thing that, Um, that just like. I, I wouldn't put D'Lo in the, in like, the cat ripped. camp, though. What? I wouldn't put D'Lo in the Carl Anthony. Like, Carl Anthony Towns, it, it's – and again, this is me maybe making too much of anecdotal evidence. But it seems like – and there is – I shouldn't even say that. There's a lot of video to back this up. He really doesn't give – it seems like he gives a shit about winning basketball games. I, I, I mean, D'Lo, D'Lo 
was such a mess in LA. And I mean, you could argue that, <sighs> like, I mean, remember, like, as a you, player, it, he was. It was. It it was bad. Like, so that that's kind of my my thing. That I mean, you you could argue that D'Lo didn't necessarily make a bigger jump than Towns, except Towns was like already pretty much good by the time Tibbs got him. And I mean, offensively, he, he was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he might even been like I think that year he's kind of good on defense. I don't I don't remember. He he's never been good on defense. I think maybe it's by like. I mean, listen. I'm sure that there are some numbers. First, first year, people thought he was like not bad on defense. He was like 224th out of 423 in defensive real plus minus. But you know he, what? He got- no, that makes it even worse because that just goes to show that once he realized that, oh shit, um, I can get people to love me and I can make All Star teams and All NBA teams just like putting up 25 and 12. Like, uh, I yeah. don't know. I, I I don't think very much of Carl Anthony Towns. My my point is just that like again, a lot of it was. Tibbs, you know, sucking. I mean, sorry, but that was that doesn't really want to say. Like a, a lot, a lot of it was Tibbs not being able to. A lot of it was the players he had stunk. Like if Andrew Wiggins and Carlton Towns gave a hoot, like he he probably would have had a lot more success. But just you know, Kenny had players that you know had bad attitudes like D'Lo and day class too. But D'Lo, he still got a lot out of D'Lo, and it's not like Tibbs got nothing out of Towns. Can I jump in there? Yeah, Kenny. The not the All Star season. The um, I think it wasn't the All Star. I'm pretty sure it was the season before. There was the inc- there was the uh, game where he sat uh, D'Angelo on the bench for like the fourth quarter, and there was it kind of went glossed over. Like, but I remember there was some. It was a thing. Briefly, it was a well, thing. That's but well, but and, and my point is Kenny had the ability to go to D'Angelo Russell and essentially be like, you're not bigger than this team. You're not bigger than this franchise. You're not bigger than this organization. Like you're going to do things how we do things. And, and by doing that, he made D'Angelo Russell into an all-star and he got him paid a hundred and whatever million dollars. Yeah. I, I I guess with, I guess the discrepancy that I'm drawing with Carl Anthony Towns is Carl Anthony Towns walked into the league as the number one pick. And unlike D'Lo who had his star, so just incredibly and I mean in as big a way as possible sullied um you know like cat one rookie of the year and that was obviously before Tibbs got so by the time Tibbs got there it was like it wasn't like he had the ability to stick Carl Anthony Towns or for that matter Andrew Wiggins on the bench and be like you're not bigger than this organization because they were bigger than the organization both of them well, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess it's a fair. And that's a that's a big that's a big difference. And 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 just to 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 make it go full circle to the Knicks, I don't think. No, not that I don't think. I cannot imagine for the life of me, they would be making this Tibbs higher if it, if indeed it is Tibbs, um, if they thought that they would get any kind of issue with the couple of guys they had here now that they consider core pieces, um. Again, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said before. It's 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 still there's still a modicum of risk, but I guess I want to, I, I don't want to concede the high ground of like there is a higher outcome here that I think is reasonable to expect. It's not necessarily gonna happen, but it is reasonable to expect if Tibbs is is named the head coach a, a, again as the guy that could come in and and almost single handedly 
change a culture where you don't have multiple players like ingrained as like these guys of the franchise deal with them. You know, there's a lot of caveats I just gave you there. Whereas yeah. you're, whereas you just get to be like, Hey, hire the guy who's has the evidence of being the best coach. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for a winner, you're, it's probably you. Well, what? No, I'm saying like, I, I, my argument has all these caveats and your argument is like, well, yeah, that's kind of my whole point. Let's go. No, I get it. I get it. The guy with less caveats. You don't have to hope as much. That's really my stick. But also, again, I just, I, I just think it, I, I just think again, if we're, we're if the uh, reason to go Tibbs over Kenny is that we want like an overnight change. We, we don't want like a traditional rebuild. I don't think Tibbs has necessarily shown he's better for that. I don't think, I, I'd say, no, you can't say like, you know, there's an absence of proof that Kenny could take uh, a, you know, a vet team and win a lot with them. But we've also seen it pretty much, he's, he's had a lot of success with like really, you know, any, with really most guys to play for him. So I don't think it's, you can really say that, you know, Tibbs is going to be the guy that changed the culture overnight while Kenny isn't. When, again, Kenny, you know, with not that much talent, did make pretty drastic pushes in a short amount of time. While Tibbs, his first year, like, there, you know, there wasn't a marginal, you know, there wasn't some big impact. And he had a lot of good guys. It's not like it, there's nothing they went from. His first year in Minnesota, you got to catch it. Yeah. Oh, wait, sorry. What, what, what no, I'm saying you said Tibbs' first year, his first oh, year yeah. in Minnesota. Like, I, I skip over. Uh, no, and, and and look, we don't look, we've been talking for an hour. We could we should probably yeah. shut the hell up. But like, <laughs> I, I think the the one thing that, and again, you, you admitted it at the top of the podcast. You're like, look, his years in Chicago were really good. Um, like, let's again, let's not beat around the bush. That's what they, that's what they're going to be making the hire on. You know, when I think they see guys like, you know, I think I think JB had a tweet earlier today or yesterday or something where he referenced some study. Yeah, here it is. Um, of the 61 active players who have been all-stars, 53 made the team by their age 23 season. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like gives credence to the idea that if you're an all-star, you're going to be an all-star by your whatever, second or third year. Luol Deng, you know, when Tibbs got to Chicago, he had been in the league one, two, three, four, five, six years, 24 years old, 25 his first season in Chicago. Never made an all-star team. He was pretty solid over those years. No, extraordinarily solid, but like a lot of years proof that like, okay, really good player, not an all-star. Joakim Noah, again, Tibbs got there. Joakim Noah had already been in the league for um, three years. He was... I mean, that's a pretty short amount of time. And he was, like, solid then. No, again, solid. But, like... Well, yeah, I mean... and let, But let's go back to RJ. What is RJ? RJ, third pick in the draft. Rookie year? Eh, not, some, not great numbers, but solid, right? I think, like, they're looking at this in part with RJ. And I guess, sure, Mitch, too, in mind is like, okay, we have two solid pieces that are willing to work hard and that have good attitudes. Mm-hmm. Let's like this guy has taken pieces like that and brought them from solid players to all stars. And in the case of of Derrick Rose, obviously, you know, from all star to MVP. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I just 
we, 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 and I know you've acknowledged this, that you can't just like gloss over Chicago and like be like, oh, well, those guys were always going to turn into that. And that, yes, Tibbs has some responsibility, but for as much as you're not glossing over it, I think maybe we need to pay even a little bit more attention to it, if that, if that makes any sense. Well, I, I guess, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Tibbs had a lot of success with those guys. It's my, my, my point again, I mean, it's two things. One, like though, again, like as we said, you know, Tibbs has a lot to change since that success in Chicago. But then the other thing is this is a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then the other thing is that all, all those guys are already pre- out, with the exception of Jimmy Butler is the 30th pick. None of those guys were like, dirt to to great and you know that's and it's not like he didn't have players like that either but the point is but but uh kenny kind of did he had a lot of low-level guys that he elevated and when he had higher level guys he elevated those guys too and like i I just again i don't know why i i again you can't discount chicago but in minnesota there just wasn't a lot of that good development like but how how much how much credit do we give to him for Butler, I mean, like this century, there's oh, yeah. been um, four players: Butler, Gilbert Arenas. Four, let me rephrase that: four non-centers: uh, Gilbert Arenas, Butler, Draymond Green, and Manu Ginobili, who have made multiple All NBA teams while being the thirtieth pick or later. And like Jimmy Butler is one of those guys, obviously. So, like, it that that's that's been all under Tibbs. Like, what what does he do? We don't know what he becomes if he's if he's under the tutelage of any other coach like that's that has to go into this argument. Well, well, yeah, it does. But also not to like discredit that, because obviously, like Tibbs was a huge part of that. And, you know, Butler have uh, credits him heavily. But like if we're going to like break down each thing, I do think it's worth noting that like Jimmy Butler is like a madman where he's not. He isn't necessarily, I mean, again, like this is all, you know, speculation, but Jimmy Butler is like, you know, he has that insane work ethic and that crazy story where it's like, he's not necessarily the guy I'm like, all right, he would have, he would have sucked no matter what. Like, you know, he's kind of like a relentless. I'm sure he was always going to be good, but like. Again, I'm not, I'm not denying that Thibodeau was like, Thibodeau helped all these guys become stars, but I'm just saying a lot of them, you know, started pretty good places outside of Butler uh, which I'm not denying, but then just recently he just hasn't had is with the Wolves. He didn't have that level of success, and like not to you know like go completely off what we're talking about. Though I guess it's not like it's not just Wiggins and Temps. Like Gorgie Jang, uh, um, Naman Belitsa. Belitsa was has been much better since he left yeah. the Wolves. And Chris Dunn. Those are all guys that just didn't. Eh. I don't, I don't know if Tibbs or uh, if Dunn's exactly killing it in Chicago, but that's fair. He's been better well, well, in Chicago. He, he he was so, like, it's easy to say that, but he was so bad that year. And it was only one year. He was a rookie. He also, also came into the league as a 22-year-old defensive guard. And what also, I mean, what does that remind you of? Like a guard with no confidence that had bad, you know, that was a good. Hey, listen, you, you will and, not be smirched Frank Nilakina's confidence was, on this podcast. I wasn't. But that's a real thing that Frank's not that confident. I, I'm, I'm just saying that, like, if he, he didn't have success with Chris, D- I'm just saying it, w- it wasn't just Wiggins and Towns. Like, there, there was a lot of notable guys that didn't show them a success. Though I will say Levine, Levine did do pretty good on it. And there's like, another guy that that swears by him. All right, um, we, um, I, I, I think we've beaten the horse. Yeah. Um, look, you're, you're. 
I, I think I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. You're not wrong. Um, your position is not wrong. It, logically, it is, it's probably the more sound one. Um, I don't know. I Well, let me ask you this. What do you, do you think that there's any chance that they actually still hire Kenny? Well, I don't. I, I mean, I feel like it's going to be tips. But then listening to your podcast earlier today, which is something I've kind of thought, like, even though there's been smoke, like, none of it's been like, you know, that that really, uh, you know, uh, non-see-through smoke. You know, like, it, it's it, like, like, you, like you said on the pod, it's not like, uh, it's not like any sources have confirmed. It's like a guy, like, it's, it seems like it's kind of like speculation to, to an extent. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a chance, I feel like it's going to be tips. Like, I'm not really expecting Kenny at all at this point, but I mean, like, I don't think there's any bona fide proof, like a hundred percent proof. It is tips. Hey, but, but if it was, you know, that'd be, you know, you, you were the first one to call it. So like, you know, that, that, that's, that's a plus for Tibbs and my book that, uh, John Mack. That I called it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah. I want the, I want the best guy for the job. I, um, I don't really give a shit what, uh, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not really expecting it to be uh, Kenny, honestly. I just think, like you said, I think it's the logically sound argument. I just... Do you, do you still, after conceding that, do you still have Tibbs over Kenny? Just you know, I, st- I still do because it's just, that's my, that's the nature of my fandom. Um, <laughs> and I, I know, and ultimately for me, it really does come down to, I, I think... I think there's a chance that Kenny could is the better coach and could come in and that that place will just beat him down because it God knows it has beaten down better men than him. Um, it's beaten down a lot of men and but then again he knows the lay of the land um, as does Tibbs. He was with he was with the he was with them. Tibbs was with them. I just I don't know. I think it's gonna take a. Mm-hmm a certain something to, to turn this thing around. And I, I don't, I don't believe it's, it's there quite yet. And, you know, I don't, but again, I, I don't even say that with much conviction. So, you know, I'm, I, look, I'll give you this. I'll, I'll be happy with either. Um, and I do, and I do think for as much as like, I wrote my tips thing today and like Steph Bondi had a whole tips thing the other day. And like, you know, Mark Berman has his like oh, tips and has been watching Nick's film. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm still, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that it's going to be Tibbs. I, I really, I don't think, I don't think the people that are actually making this decision have told anybody. Um, yeah. So okay. you're you keep 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 hope alive, I guess. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to be let down. So I don't know. I've 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 been on the Tibbs train for a year, even though like I hate. It. I've just been expecting. What a, like, like, like I'm, I'm mentally gearing for tips. I'm not letting myself get my hopes up, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> hey, yeah, listen, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We'll, we'll, we'll. I, I don't know. I mean, I, again, it's just like the, the Nets did exactly what like I think the Knicks should do. So I'd like to just steal the coach. Of the, that's really a lot of what it comes down to. Uh, no, I, I know. I, I think we both want to see the Knicks turn into the same type of organization. We would both like them to be good, I think. It, but more than good, sustainable. sound, sound, sustainable, you know, all of those things. Um, this was fun. This was fun. And I'm, I'm, I need another beer because you've, you've, you've wiped me. You, you've, I mean, I can't keep up with you kids. 20 years old. I'm literally <laughs> old enough to be your father. That is frightening. 
My <laughs> Christ. Um, can you tell? <laughs> can you tell the good folks at home uh, where they could find you? You could find me at the real Budum, not to be confused with the fake Budum. Hopefully, I can gain back some of the followers I lost during like my daily tirades. Um, and so yeah, the uh, real Budum on Twitter. That's where I post like all my stuff. But I also got my own podcast, which the next episode will probably be after they announce what will probably be Tibbs uh, per 36 podcast. You could follow that too. And also starting up um, the sports website, Fanfare Media too. So check. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. No, it's just like, a, like I've been working out with some buds. Uh, I mean, still, still in the beginning stages, but. Can I ask like generally what it is? <laughs> it's like a sports. No, it's, it's like everything. It's like sports and culture. Like tomorrow I'm, like our other podcast besides mine, like per 36 is, uh, it's around the thorn, which is a bachelor podcast. So I have to watch that after <laughs> this to prepare for that. So got, got a little something for everyone. Oh, uh, to be, you know what? You're 20. You should be making a podcast, a, a, a <laughs> website that is about all that shit and watching the bachelor. Um, yeah, cool stuff. Like there's a documentary on like, like, I mean, the, I, I wasn't really a part of that, but there's like, like there's some pretty good connections we have so far. Like we have a documentary on Woj out, uh, you know, the silence woes ESPN. Uh, so yeah, wait, a documentary, like a mini, a mini doc. It's like a 10 minute thing. Like they interviewed him at like Sloan and like followed him at ESPN for a day. Okay. So it's a cool, neat little thing. Uh, that's so all. Yeah. I, listen, man, that's, uh, that's awesome. Who knows? I, I may be playing, applying for a job with you, uh, one day. Um, <laughs> like I said, you, um, you made me notice you make people notice you on Twitter. Keep doing what you're doing. Maybe um, maybe a little less. <laughs> maybe do it a, a smidge less. So I don't lose. No, nah, man. Stay stay true to who you are. Um, you know who the fuck like so so what? There might be a better path for you to like get more followers. Who gives a shit? Just like well, yeah. Be you well, and I I just, I just, uh, <laughs> I just be me. People people found it annoying when I I I crapped on Porzingis all the time too. Was how I felt. Oh please don't please don't ever stop that. Now uh, everyone, now everyone loves it. So you yes. know, maybe maybe when if we hire t- uh, Kenny or whatever, then then people will uh, warm up to that a bit more too. We'll see. No um, man, you're 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 doing great work. Uh, this was fun. Um, I like I like being intellectually challenged, and you you definitely uh, were were that and more. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I was able to put like I mean I've been warming up to this for like. You know, a, a bit with all, you know, I, I've been pouring over this stuff, you know, since like the beginning of quarantine. So I'm glad I'm glad I was able to finally like convey it in a conversation instead of snarky 280 character tweets. So I, I am it. I am here to rescue you from your from your snarkiness, uh, if only temporarily. Um, everybody go go follow uh, Do Real Budum um, uh, and uh, help him get his, his 15 followers back that he lost. <laughs> And uh, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Um, as far as the next episode, um, we'll drop an emergency. I'm sure I'll drop an emergency pod that whenever they make a hire. Um, if that twenty minutes, <laughs> I was about to say I'm like checking my phone. Um, but uh, other than that, we'll we'll have another episode uh, for you. Uh, you know by the weekend at the latest i got another mailbag coming 
And, um, yeah, whatever. All right, talk to everybody later. Peace out.